With all the tinsel of Christmas, it's easy to blow right past the birth of Emmanuel, which means God with us. Everything starts with this truth. Jesus Christ was in the world, and he was here for more than a fleeting visit, having walked on this planet for 33 years. He was one of us, and he lived among us. J.B. Phillips put it this way, We must never allow anything to blind us to the true significance of what happened at Bethlehem so long ago. Nothing can alter the fact that we live on a visited planet. Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. Our message today is called, When the Infinite Became an Infant. So the Apostle John takes us back to the beginning to show us that Jesus had no beginning. He goes behind creation to show the baby in the feeding trough was the creator of the world. John doesn't use a narrative, but instead gives us the theology behind the nativity. John's gospel begins with a prologue, which will give us some clues about the identity of the infant in the manger. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and let's read God's word together. If you were at one of our Christmas Eve services yesterday, uh, we read most of this passage as well. Let's read together. In the, the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You can be seated. God, we thank you for the richness of your word. Lord, I pray you'd help us now to understand it, to interpret it correctly, uh, to make some observations, and then, Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our lives today? We give you this time as we continue in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to look today first at the reality of Jesus, and then we're going to consider some responses to Jesus. First of all, the infant is infinite. You know, for many years when I was growing up, I thought Jesus got his start when he was born. But the fact of the matter is Jesus Christ has always existed we see that in verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is before the beginning of time. In John eight fifty eight, he said these words before Abraham was born, I am. 
Jesus is eternal. He's infinite. He has always existed. This passage reminds us of the opening words of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. We're going to return to our study in the book of Genesis in January. The word word is the Greek logos, which refers to Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. In Greek culture, logos was that which gave meaning to all things. The philosopher Philo saw the Logos as a bridge between a transcendent God and the material universe. And so here, John is using a term that everyone would be familiar with, and yet he expands and transcends its meaning. Since a word is an audible or visible expression of a thought, Jesus perfectly revealed what was going on in the mind of God. Jesus is the bridge between God and us. The word was with God indicates Jesus Christ has always existed in a face-to-face relationship with the Father. Jesus is not only in the closest possible fellowship with God, would you note, the word was God. Verse 2 summarizes and repeats verse 1 in order to make sure we grasp the magnitude of this truth. He was in the beginning with God. The infant is infinite. Secondly, we see that Christ is the creator. I'm in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was not made. Jesus is both the creator and the sustainer of all things. Number three, the Lord is life, and light. Verse 4 and 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, the Bible begins with physical darkness in Genesis 1, and to correct that darkness, God said, let there be light. And then spiritual darkness spilled out into the world in Genesis chapter 3, and it can only be removed by the Lord who is life and light. And as the light, Jesus shines into the darkness, and those who've not yet received him are still in the dark and cannot understand him. You see, many people today do not comprehend the real meaning of Christmas. It's because the world in general has no place for Christ. The word overcome means to lay hold of, to seize or grasp. (laughs) The darkness cannot ultimately put out the light. No matter how dark our world is, and we live in a dark world, don't we? The darkness cannot put out the light because light is more powerful than darkness. Darkness, by its very nature, refuses to come into the light because darkness and light are mutually exclusive. If you have one, well, then you don't have the other. Those in darkness cannot readily understand the Lord who is life and light. Verse 9 reveals Jesus himself is the true light that gives light to every person. Unfortunately, many today would rather live in the dark. Light and darkness are recurring themes in the Gospel of John. People love one or the other. Four years ago, 
About 70 of us from Edgewood gathered out in the lobby. It was an evening. I think it was a Sunday night. And there were so many of us, we divided up into four groups and we went caroling around the neighborhoods here. Some of us went that way, that way, that way. We just went into all the neighborhoods. And I noticed a number of different reactions, different responses in the group we were in. And I wonder if these responses correlate with how some of you are responding right now. Some people were just not home. The message came, but there was no one there to hear it. I wonder, do you not put yourself in a position very often to hear the message? You just don't hear it because you're not there. A few were too busy, and they told us they didn't have time. Does that describe you? I'll never forget one man cracked the door open, and when he understood what we were doing, he quickly shut the door and turned the light off. I wonder, does that describe your heart? Kind of see, open the door, and like, it's painful. I don't want to change. I want to keep living like this. (laughs) A couple people saw us coming or maybe heard us coming and they hid in their house and didn't answer the door. We knew knew they were there. I wonder, have you been trying to hide out from God? Well, that goes back to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? We try to hide from the one who can heal us, from the one who can save us. Others open the door with big smiles on their faces. They even lean forward to hear the music. Some invited the rest of their family to come and hear about Christ. Well, that's what some of you do, right? Jesus has changed your life, and so you're like, come, I want to tell you more. I want to share with you. A number of people were really happy. They thanked us, and they even applauded But I'll never forget one man. He came to the door on his hands and his knees because he couldn't walk. He listened to the songs of Christmas and he thanked us for coming. I was moved by his posture and by the effort it took for him to hear the message of Christmas. Okay, let's see if we can apply this. Where are you in there? Will you open the door to Jesus Christ today or will you slam it shut on the Savior? Have you been running and hiding? Or are you ready to come to him on your knees, bowing before his supremacy, ready to confess that he is Lord and Christ, you can have Emmanuel with you right now. Now, let's look right from this passage of three different responses to Jesus. Number one, you may not recognize him. Unfortunately, even after all Jesus did to dwell among us, verse 10 says, Emmanuel is often ignored. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him or did not recognize him. 
You know, with all the tinsel of Christmas, it's easy to blow right past the birth of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And everything starts with this truth. Jesus Christ was in the world, and he was here for more than a fleeting visit. He walked on this planet for 33 years. He was one of us and lived among us. J.B. Phillips put it this way, we must never allow anything to blind us to the true significance of what happened at Bethlehem so long ago. Nothing can alter the fact that we live on a visited planet. You do know, don't you, there's always been a great divide among people. When Jesus came the first time, Herod hated him. The scribes, the religious people, they ignored him. And there was no room for him in the inn. It was only the lowly shepherds, the wise men from another country, the poor, the meek, the marginalized who welcomed him to earth. Man, not much has changed, has it? As we see the birth of Jesus Christ slipping from our cultural discourse. He came to the world he created, and the world did not know him. Second reaction we see right from this passage is an outright rejection. Some are apathetic, they just don't seem to care, and others push him away. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came to the people who should have known him best, and they wanted nothing to do with him. That phrase, came to his own, means to come home Jesus came home to his own people and they wouldn't take him in. Well, they should have known better because they knew he was coming. Every book in the Old Testament testifies to this one truth. He is coming. And one day God would send his Messiah to deliver his people Israel. And when Jesus finally arrived, they didn't receive him because they didn't want to. And so to not receive him means to reject. Instead of welcoming him home, they drove him away. This is not just a historical observation. It's a profound theological statement. You see, in general, human beings reject God. I was thinking about that. The reason we reject him is because, well, because we want to. Frankly, many people don't believe in God because they don't want anyone telling them what to do. They'd rather live their life the way they have been. Now, some seem to be sincere seekers of Christ, but the Bible says most are looking to be rid of him. People are blind because it's their very nature to reject the light. Oh, but there's another response. There are some who receive him. While the world did not recognize him, his own people rejected him. There have always been some who receive him. John 1.12 explains clearly how someone can personally become a Christian. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, let me point out three key words. The first is believe. 
To believe means to engage your total being so that you put your trust completely in Christ as an act of your will. Believe. Receive. To receive means to take or to seize. I wonder, have you taken hold of Christ? And thirdly, become. Believe, receive, become. The moment you receive Christ into your life, God gives you the right to become a member of his family. Believe, receive, and become. We must first believe that Jesus is the only way to a relationship with the Father, and then we must personally receive what he's done on the cross and through the resurrection by appropriating the gift of salvation, and then we become children of God. Verse 13 makes it clear salvation doesn't automatically go from one generation to another. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, you will never go to heaven in a crowd. God saves individuals, one at a time, not masses of people or groups of people. The whole gospel is in the little phrase, born of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It's a gift. It's a gift for you today. It's totally free. It's totally of grace. And it's not some cooperative venture where you do your part and God does his. Now, we may ask, don't I have a part to play in salvation? Well, yes, we do have a part. Our part is to be hopelessly lost in sin. And God's part is to save us. That way, he gets all the credit. Salvation is a work of God from first to last, and it's wrapped up in the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, when it comes to great spiritual issues, you can't be neutral. No one just drifts or stumbles into heaven by accident. God has no natural-born children. At some point, you must consciously believe Repent of your sins and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To fully understand the reason for Christmas, we must respond to the reality of Christ and be born again. One pastor has some good insight when he writes, we are better givers than getters, not because we are generous people, but because we're proud. The Christmas story is not about how blessed it is to be givers, but how essential it is to see ourselves as receivers, receivers of salvation. Ponder the mystery contained in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. One paraphrase captures it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I received a letter this week some from, some, from some friends who live in India. And this captures the reality of the incarnation. Let me read part of it. This is what she writes. I was asked to visit a dear old lady in our community yesterday. She mentioned that there had been a lot of fighting outside of her home in recent days, and she was beginning to feel unsafe. So this is what the lady told my friend. 
Quote, would you pray for my neighbors? The fighting never seems to end. The drinking and punching and screaming wake me up in the night. So this woman, my friend, went with another young Indian woman who has become a dear friend. We had to tiptoe past animal and human waste to get there. People stared and asked where we were going. And they laughed when we told them that we were visiting a nobody. Now, a nobody in India would be part of the untouchable caste. Nobody cares about them, the lowest of the low. She writes, when we arrived, this person greeted us with tears and exclaimed, you came. We squeezed inside her tiny home, 10 feet by 6 feet. I asked her what else we could pray about besides the fighting and chaos in the evenings. The rats, she said. The rats are really bad right now. They're eating my clothes. Words caught in my throat. How do you even respond to that? I thought for a minute and I said, the place where Jesus was born probably had rats. She was shocked. How can this be? I reminded her that he was born in a place that would have housed animals. In villages all across India, animals often live downstairs from the family in straw-filled areas like this one in the picture. You can see a, a cow on the, on the lower level and the people live above there. It's easy for us on this side of the world to imagine the first nativity. She continues, we chatted for a while, prayed, and discussed the plan to ensure her safety. As we hugged goodbye, my eyes welled with tears. I grieved for her situation, and I grieved for mine. I grieved that the incarnation was so much harder and messier than I could ever imagine. This is how she ends. I don't know where you are this Christmas, I don't know if you're partying and singing and planning and getting together with family. I don't know if you're taking chemo or planning a funeral or aren't welcome with your family. But one thing I do know, because God became man, he is not unfamiliar with our situations, no matter how grievous they are. And in these coming days, may we remind ourselves and each other of that eternal truth. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to be a receiver by accepting the greatest Christmas gift of all time. I'm wondering if you're ready right now to receive him. And the Bible says, if you don't receive him, you've already rejected him. I like one of the lyrics we sang earlier from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It goes like this, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. And then I came across this tweet from Matt Smethurst, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, Jesus 
was born once so that we could be born twice. When it comes to great spiritual issues, there can be no neutrality. No one drifts or stumbles into heaven by accident. God has no natural-born children. At some point, you must consciously believe and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To fully understand the reason for Christmas, we must respond to the reality of Christ and be born again. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to listen to this message again, you can now download episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts by going to edgewoodbaptist.net. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams, and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.